you got a Bible, would you grab it, please? And I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Luke, chapter 5. If you forgot your Bible, there should be a blue hardback one in front of you. We'll have it on the screen as well, but I'd love for you to see the scriptures this morning. Luke, chapter 5, we continue our series um, called Turning Points, and today's t- sermon title is called Trust Issues. Um, if you've been with us for the last month, we've started, the, well, I started this series, and it's kind of a week-to-week. I mean, I know we're going to go at least one, maybe two more weeks um, and how this is kind of building on uh, after the new year of not just trying to do better, try harder, make changes, which is all great, but to truly see these, these fundamental truths in Scripture that could truly be turning points in our lives that might lead to change and lead to things that are different. Uh, quickly, as you're turning to Luke 5, we've seen over the last couple of weeks uh, that, that Jesus is everything we need, which was from Second Peter, uh, that we are complete in Christ from Colossians 2. Jesus longs for intimacy with us, which is Revelation chapter 3. He calls us beyond comfort zones, which was last week. Um, and we talked in, in Exodus with Moses, uh, when God's calling him, and what did it boil down to at the end of the sermon? For those who were here, I'm sure you remember it. It was a week ago. Um, trusting God. I'm going to do this. I'm going to use you. I'm going to do this. And he did what you and I, I know I, I won't speak for you, what, what I often do is I have all these excuses. He had five of them. And you can listen to it last week, but the thing that really convicted me all, all, all even preaching last week was I, I really get hung up on the what ifs. Moses was like, well, what if they don't listen? What if they don't hear? I'm not very good at speaking. I'm not very good at this. And, and God uses him and worked through all of that. But the bottom line of excuses, which leads to this sermon today, is we, I, fail to truly trust that God is going to do and be what he says. To truly trust, according to basic, basic definition, means firm belief, catch this, reliability, the truth, the ability, or strength of someone or something. And the bottom line, I think, for all honest, just to get seriously pretty quick, we all, myself at the top of the list, there's times when we struggle to trust God. You have trust issues with him, trust issues with people. Maybe it's because he hasn't come through. Maybe because life has happened. But there is a struggle to think that he is reliable, that he is true, that he is able, or he has the strength to do and to be what he says he is. Before we get to our text, there's a story I want to share with you. Back in July in 2022, true story. I have it on the screen for you. There was a scientist named E.T.N. hope I pronounced that right. E.T.N. Klein. He posted a picture, or tweeted it in 2022, true story, of the James Webb telescope of this, uh, this, this star called the Proxima Centauri. I hope I said that right. Okay, well, and, and so what happened is he posted, and I think there's a picture of him and the, the star, and what it was is it was this amazing star. It was 4.2 light years away, and he posted it saying, look at the level of detail, and that we see a new world that is unveiled every day. Now, I may have given this away, but this got so much traction, so many tweets and retweets and popularity, that finally he came out and it was a hoax, and it was a post of some spicy chorizo sausage. <laughs> now, if, now, if you go back, now here's the thing, now that you see it, some of y'all were smiling, but if you go back, and I think there's a fourth picture now, that, that's all you can see, right? That's all you can see. But I looked at this early, I thought, I was like, that's not true, and I looked at it, and I was like, oh my gosh, look at the detail. I bet that's like some, some starry, like some gas up there and something. No. That would cause some trust issues for something. And why? It wasn't because Billy Bob Nobody posted it. It was because he was a true, renowned scientist that posted it. People thought that what he said would be true. Would that not cause you to, for the next tweet or the next post to go, hold on a second? It's kind of like, like up here, which was, we'll bring that up in just a minute. If all of a sudden, if, if, if Tracy dropped her, we might not do a trust fall next time. That'd be an issue, okay? 
But all this happens, and the truth is, is that if we all, just to get real quick, life happens, and, and I, I bet I'm not the only one, but there's times in life, maybe some of you right now, where you are having a hard time trusting in God because of something or something's happened, something hasn't happened, something that you're longing for. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at, a, at a, a simple story. I'm going to ask you to stand. We'll read our text today. A very, very famous story, Luke chapter 5, when Jesus is going to call his disciples. You're going to know this story, but we're going to look, and I'm going to show you six things that we can learn from these guys. As they trust, as we can trust, that we can look at their character, what they're doing, and hopefully learn to trust him. Simple story, very famous. You probably know it by heart, but let's read it and we'll walk through it together. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1 through 11. <clears throat> One day Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or Galilee, with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw the water's edge down there was two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon Peter, and asked him to put out from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, put out into deep water and let down the nets for the catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When he had done so, he caught so many large fish that the nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the boat to come and help him. And when they came, they filled the boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon Peter, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up onto the shore, left everything, and they followed him. Let's pray. Just a second, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. This is your time. I just want to give you an opportunity to pray for yourself, to ask God to speak to your heart. Maybe you're doing okay. Maybe you're struggling with trusting him. Maybe there's something in your life that you're just really wrestling with. And Maybe today God would speak to us so we can learn in the simple story of these disciples about how we can tr truly trust him. <clears throat> God, we thank you for this, this opportunity to be here. Father, I stand on the stage as, as a man, but also as the pastor of this church, but I confess, I struggle to trust you a lot. And I bet I'm not alone. Because life happens, things happen, and Satan loves to whisper into my ear to convince me otherwise about you. And God, if there's anybody else that's possibly in that boat, not to be, pardon the pun, but if there's anybody else that's in that boat with me that struggles with that, that we might truly allow the Spirit to speak to us, that we can indeed trust you, not because of how things might flesh out, but because of who you are. And God, if there's anybody here that's not really struggling, maybe they're trusting you is going great, may they be encouraged today. But above all, we just ask that you to remind us that you are faithful, that you would change us, and for the hearts that are willing, for the hearts that are longing for that, that you might meet us, change us, shape us, mold us,
so that we can leave here different. And we ask it in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Quickly, uh, like I said, I don't always do lists, but I'm going to give you six things. Let me give them to you up front, and we'll, we'll do them as we go. As we look at these disciples, I kind of try to break this down into six things, and so I want to give them to you, especially if you like to take notes, or you can act like you're taking notes if that sounds good too. But here's what we're going to learn from these guys in these 11 verses. As they learn to trust, number one, we're going to see that they wanted to hear the word of God. We're going to talk about that briefly. Number two, we're going to see that these disciples in the story, they obeyed when it didn't make sense. That is so hard to do. Number three, as they learn to trust, as we can, we got to see our sin clearly. We'll see our sin. Number four, they were constantly amazed by Jesus. Number five, they are able to see the bigger picture. We'll talk about that. And number six, they're willing to abandon it all. Okay? There's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song there back, back from the late 80s. There you go. Number one, let's look at verse one through three. As we learn this and see this, and the sad part, the opposite is going to be true. If we are unwilling to trust, um, we'll see this as well. But look at the first thing. Verses 1 through 3, these disciples, Peter as well, they were willing to hear and wanted to hear the word of God. Verses 1 through 3. One day Jesus was standing at the lake in Galilee. The people were already crowding around. And notice the story. Jesus is already teaching. They're already listening. The crowds are gathering. He's already teaching. And Jesus looks down. Verse 2, he sees the water's edge. He sees down there's two boats left by these fishermen. What are they doing? They're washing their nets. And verse 3 tells us he got, in, he got into one of the boats that belonged to Simon Peter, which was not by accident, and he asked him to push it out from the shore, and then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, this is what happens a lot. Jesus did this several times around the Sea of Galilee. When crowds would gather, he would find himself, he did it a couple of times, he would get into a boat, push out, and create a natural, almost like a little amphitheater. While the, the, the water's edge would keep them a little bit of distance, not because he didn't want to be close, but it would create a little distance so they could, they could literally arch around him. He could push out just a little bit, and even a lot of scholars talk about the echo of the water would even allow him to, to, his voice to carry. Notice he's already teaching. The crowds are, are, are gathering around here, and he looks down, and he sees these guys, his, his disciples, they're washing their nets. It's the end of the day. The nets had to be kept in good condition. If you're a farmer or you work and you have equipment, you've got to take care of your stuff. They're removing weeds. They're, they're fixing the holes in the nets because it's important to get it ready for the next day. They're really to, ready to call it a day. Been fishing all night, hadn't caught anything, right? We're all on the same page. They hadn't caught a thing yet. Now, I'm going to take a little liberty here, but I want you to see this because I, this is what spoke to me a little bit. But I want you to see. They haven't caught anything, and they're washing their nets. They're done. Jesus is already teaching. The crowds gather, and then he just hops in Peter's boat and tells him to push it away. Peter obeys. Peter does what he says. We've already, we'll talk about that more in just a minute. But what's, take, what's taking place here is Jesus is talking and teaching, and they're cleaning, and they're tired. They're done. And would you agree, church, would you agree that they may be a little frustrated? Imagine if that's your livelihood and you've done it all night and you hadn't caught a thing and you're at the end of your day ready to go home, watch a little ESPN back in the first century, just kidding. Uh, but you're just going to go home, just veg out, relax, read a book, do something, and you're just done. Now, let me make it very personal. Right now, you're waiting on God for do something and it's not happening and you're just frustrated. Do you think that Peter is like, yes, another message, another sermon from Jesus, this is going to be awesome. I think, I think if we're, and this is not just liberty, a lot of scholars believe this, I, I think that there's truth here, but what did they want? They wanted to hear from Jesus. He sat down at the end of a very frustrating day. Picture the worst day of your week. And some of you are thinking, it's hard to even come to church on Sundays because you've had a bad, I don't want to hear another sermon. I don't want to go to a small group. I don't want to go to a Bible study. I don't want to pray. Why? Because I'm mad at God because he hasn't come through. 
He hasn't done this, or this hasn't happened. And I love this because it's so practical in these first three verses that we see Peter longing, and all these disciples wanting to hear, verse 1, they're listening to the Word of God. Very basic, practical. They are willing and want to hear Jesus every chance they get. They fight for this, and they, they long for that. And I put in my notes here, which is why I say it all the time. We fight for Sundays. We fight for Bible studies. We fight for small groups. We don't just announce it because we think it's going to be great to get the attendance. No, because it's better for you. It's better for you to be in a small group and have community and listen to the Word. That's why parents, we fight for Sundays. We fight for Wednesdays. fight for, for our kids to stay plugged in. We do all of this. Well, we long for that. Because I can tell you my heart, those moments where I struggled to trust God, when I wasn't preaching sermons and I wasn't in ministry, or even when I was in ministry, I would shock some of you if I told you there was times when I didn't even want to preach, I didn't want to do something. I didn't want to do it. Why? Because I was struggling to trust God. I've shared this story several times, and I don't mean to be a broken record, but a long time ago, we had a miscarriage, we longed to have kids, it wasn't happening, and I remember sitting on, we, we, we had to go and, and, and get all this stuff done at the hospital, and then it was on a Wednesday, and I showed up back at church, and I'm supposed to be the youth pastor, and I'm supposed to preach to kids, and I sat at the top of the stairs, and I said, find somebody else, God. And you're maybe thinking, David, it's not a big deal, it's not a big deal, but it is a big deal when it's you. And in that moment, I was just frustrated. I was like, no, I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to teach much less. Maybe on the other side of it, which is real, I don't want to hear it. And so maybe you're thinking, David, that's a little bit of a stretch. That's fine. We can, we can. But I want you to see this. These guys were at the end of a day, had a hard day. They hadn't cut anything. They're getting all their equipment ready to put it up, be done for the day. And Jesus is like, hey, I'm going to teach. Let's go. And they're willing and wanting to put themselves in a place to hear and so when I say things like fight for Sundays, I'm not saying it because we need the attention. No, when I say like, hey, fight for this, fight for this, fight for this. No, put yourself in a position to learn and to hear the word of God because that apparently is what we see from these disciples. That's point number one. Point number two is they obeyed when it didn't make sense. Look at verse four. When Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out the deep water let down the nets for the catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We hadn't caught a thing. But because you say so, we're going to put down the nets. And when they did so, they caught so many fish that their nets began to break. Excuse me. And they signaled to their partners, to their friends. They came off to help them. And they filled the boat so much that they began to sink. This is the, the, the crux of the story, if you know it pretty well. Obviously, most of us know. Doesn't make sense. When's the last time God called you to do something? We talked about Moses last week. That makes sense. That we come up with these excuses to stay in our comfort zones and hear what is Jesus asking them to do? Put out to deep water. I know you've had a long night, hadn't caught a thing. I know you fish at night. That's what you do. That's what they did in the first, that's what they did. Now it's in the middle of the day. Let's go out to deep water and drop your nets. What does Peter do in verse 5? He's very kind in how he says it, but what does he say? We, we just, we did all night. You know what that is? That's a nice way of saying, are you kidding me? <laughs> really? Are you, are you sure that's what you're wanting? Because I've got three things just from this, about three things that help us understand from Peter's perspective where he has to trust and obey when it doesn't make sense. Number one, Simon, was a, Simon Peter was a fisherman. Jesus was a carpenter or a tecton. He worked with things. He wasn't a fisherman. Jesus, this is my thing. This is not your thing. Let me handle the, let me handle the fishing. Right? Let me handle that. Peter should be instructing Jesus on how to fish, not the other way around. Second, Simon, they've been fishing all night and they hadn't caught a thing. 
And I'm not a big fisherman, but, but those who do know that, everybody knows in the middle of the day is not the best time to fish. When the, the sun comes out and it gets hot, the, the fish go hot and they, they get out of the way of prey and all these kind of things. And now Jesus is saying, go out into the middle of the day, middle of the water, and drop to the deep. That's not how you do it. That's not, that doesn't make sense. And I think maybe the most frustrating for me, if I'm in this text, was number three, was they just finished cleaning their nets. They're ready to call it a day. They are a little, probably a little frustrated because this is not just hobby Okay, this is not just hobby. Okay, some of you farmers in the room, like you've had a maybe a hard year, hard month, maybe a bad day where things are just falling apart, and then all of a sudden Jesus shows up and says, I want to talk to you. You're probably like, really? Okay. They just finished cleaning all of this, ready to call it a day, and Jesus is calling them to do something that, if I'm honest, it sounds a little dumb. It sounds a little silly. Like, that's not what we do. how you do it, Jesus. The hesitancy in verse 5. But what does he say at the end of verse 5? Look at your Bible. But because you say so, because you speak it, you tell me that, I'm going to do it. Now, if you're a parent in the room, when I was a kid, I hated that when my parents said, hey, why, why do I got to do this? Because I said so. Didn't, I don't know about you, but I, I did not like that when I was a kid. And I, I was like, I, I felt like I needed my parents to explain to me, why do I need to do this? Let's, let's talk about this curfew thing. What, what do we, why? Now, you want me to do this, 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 this. And then I got it over and over again. I hate it, but do, just because I, do it because I said so. But as a parent now, I'm like, I get it. But why? Why do we say that? Because we want our children not to be grudgingly just like, fine, I'll take the trash out. Why? We want them to look at us and go, you're my parents. You must have some sort of wisdom that I don't know. You care enough about me to ask me to do things that maybe I don't, that don't make sense. You have boundaries for me, parameters for me, things you want me to do. And we want you to do it because we say so. And we know better. That's the heart behind what Simon says. We're going to do it because you say so. And I'm going to let down the nets. And we know the response. We know what happened. They caught so many fish that they began to break. Those nets that they just spent all this time fixing, getting ready, they begin to tear, begin to break. Got them all in the boat, and the boat began to sink. I thought about this when we were talking about comfort zones. Maybe some of you here, some of you weren't. When God calls us to do things that are uncomfortable, maybe to go, to be, to say, to forgive, to love, to serve, to do things, you're like, man, you've never done that before. That's okay. When God calls us to step in in obedience, you're like, man, I don't, I don't know. I could tell stories after story. I've shared someone from up here, but a people in life where God calls us to step out of those comfort zones, and rather than Moses' excuses of, I can't, they won't listen, or these hypothetical possibilities of failure, oh, it's not going to work out, Look, it's, this is, there's no way. And we find ourselves still at the same spot, the same place, over and over, moment, in years, in years, generations, and we stay in the same spot. Why? Because we are so comfortable, and if I'm honest and you're honest, we don't trust God to come through the truth. Which is why the natural response is number three, for those who can learn to trust. Look at point number three, to see our sin. Look at, what does Peter respond? Does he beat his chest? He's so grateful for all the fish. Yes. Now look at verse eight. When Peter saw this, what did he do? He fell at Jesus's feet and he said, go away. Lord, I'm a sinful man. Rhetorically speaking, why do you think Peter responds that way? 
His response to the miracle was an excitement. We, we know the story. They left it all to follow. We'll get to that in just a minute. There's no curveballs here today. But to me, church, this confirms the doubts, the frustration, the thoughts of thinking, Jesus, that is a dumb request. You're asking me to go out in the middle of it. That doesn't make sense. It confirms in me the doubts and the struggles of Jesus, that, that Peter's already thinking about this man, Jesus, and his frustration. When they visibly saw the catch, wasn't excited, he was convicted. You know, Peter has seen his share of miracles. But this one, church, this one reached inside of him, and it grabbed him, and for some reason it wouldn't let him go. Peter immediately, and some of you may be there right now, in those moments of doubts and worries, he immediately felt unworthy to be in the presence of God. And that's why he told him, he didn't call him master, didn't call him teacher, didn't call him rabbi. He said, Lord, please go away. I, I just go away. I don't want to be here. I can't be close to you. I feel so, I'm so convicted. I'm not even worthy to be in your presence. I'm just a sinful man. I'm not worthy. And if you know the heart of the gospel, the truth is, is that's true. None of us is worthy. We are not worthy of anything. We deserve sin. I mean, we deserve death for our sins. That's all we deserve, excuse me. That's all we deserve. We're not entitled to nothing. And that's true. What a picture of the gospel. We see this of Jesus' faithfulness over and over, over and over. Peter is indeed a sinful man who lacked faith and he struggled. And Jesus is teaching him in this moment to trust him, to trust me. And sometimes that happens in conviction. Sometimes that happens not with warm and fuzzy messages and books and audios and things like that. It happens when the Holy Spirit will grab you and will convict you and will challenge you and will change you. So as we learn to trust from their example, they, Peter, excuse me, was able to see his sin. Which leads us to the fourth one. Look at verse 9. To be constantly amazed by Jesus. This is going to be short, but kind of practical, but look at verse 9 and 10. First half of 10. For he, Peter, and all his companions were what? Astonished, shocked, amazed. I don't know what your translation says. They were all amazed at the catch of fish that was taken. And so were James and John and the sons of, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Now, you might be thinking, of course, they saw it, obviously. I wish you could have seen up here with the, with the children's sermon. Maybe you all saw it, but the angle that I had, as soon as Daly turned around, okay? Now, I, I thought, I, I was, I was kind of unsure at first what was going to happen. And, 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 but, but Dad had to, over and over, had to say, do you trust me? Look at it. And you know what she said right off the bat? I don't know. <laughs> do you trust me? I think she shook her head like, uh, <laughs> no. Took a little convincing, right? Sometimes, and you could see her face when she finally looked back and she saw her dad smile. And I think sometimes in, in, in our world we get a little acclimated to comfortable. They're shocked and they're amazed. They're not just, oh yeah, that's what Jesus does. That's just kind of how he rolls. Later in the same chapter 5, you can flip to verse 26 if you get bored today, but look, after Jesus heals the paralytic, everyone, verse chapter 5, 26 says, everyone was amazed and gave praise and glory. They were filled with awe. We have seen remarkable things today. Do you see it over and over? They see these things that Jesus has done, and not one time do they go, that's just kind of what he does. They're not acclimated. They're not comfortable. They're not just bored with things. They're not just thinking about, yeah, this is kind of what it is, and Jesus does. No, they're, they're, they're in awe. 
And there's a great book by Paul Tripp called Awe, and I read this great quote, and I love this because Paul Tripp writes in this book about how we need to rediscover the wonder and the awe of who Jesus is and not get so comfortable. Look at what he says. He says, I came to see that I was wired for awe, that awe is something that sits at the bottom of everything I say or do, but I wasn't just wired for awe, I was wired for awe of God. No other awe satisfies the soul. No other all can give my heart peace and rest and security that it seeks. I came to see that I needed to trace all of God down to the most mundane and human decisions and the activities. And what he's talking about is that I need to look in the, yeah, it may not be a whole boatload full of fish, but it may be the simple things of life because that's where church, here, maybe some of you are thinking, I need to see it. I need to see it. I need to see like Daly did. I need to see my dad's face so that I can trust him. Then I'll do it. I need to see the big catch and then I'll do it. But maybe we can look at his track record and the faithfulness of the small things. We look at God, who he is and what he's done, and we can trace the hand of God. As Charles Spurgeon says, that God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. When you can't see it and you can't tangibly see it, there it is. There's a big boatload of fish. Now I can believe. Now I can trust. Now God's come through. We have to understand his heart. And it's exactly what Daly did when he had to look at, she had to look at Dev and say, I don't know if I trust you. I don't know if I can do that. And she had to trust that this guy named Dev is not going to let something bad happen to her. She didn't know that her father was behind him, but she trusted and believed. Number five, as we go quickly, number five, we have to, yes, be constantly amazed by Jesus, not bored, not acclimated. We have to be blown away and awe and wonder. But number five is to see the bigger picture. Look at the end of 10 and going into uh, all the rest of it. And so James and John, the sons of Zebedee and, Simon, and, and Simon's partners, then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to fish for people. You're going to be fishers of men. We know what this means, and at the time, maybe they did, and we don't know, but it's, it sounds kind of weird. Maybe you need a bigger hook if you're going to catch people. It's kind of weird. But hold up. For some of us, we might be looking at this, okay, now, now we see our out here. You know, I don't know what this is about. I'm not going to catch people. We're talking about trusting God. He told him to go catch men. We're going to need bigger nets. We're going to need all this kind of stuff. But listen to what he says here. He's, because sometimes if we look at this and think, well, that's David's job. That's the pastor's job. That's for those people that are more skilled than those things. We talked about that last week with excuses. When Moses was like, I don't talk very good. I'm not very skilled at that, but God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He's going to give you everything you need for that. And I've read Ephesians 4. I've read Romans that all believers are gifted and called and empowered to reach people for the gospel. And there's a bigger picture. Now, here's what I want you to hear this. It's going to be quick. Every one of you in this room, young and old, I don't care if you're a child or if you are a senior adult, everybody in between, if you are a follower of Jesus, tag, you are it. You are called to ministry. You are an ambassador of the gospel. You are a minister, whether you are a vocational or not. We are called to serve something bigger. And that's what he's trying to get these guys to understand. There's something bigger going to happen now. In light of all of this, you're going to go catch people. You're going to reach the kingdom which is what Jesus has been talking about. Now tag your it, go. So whether you teach or business, farmers, all this kind of stuff, this thing is all of us. We are not just called to sit back and let the paid professionals in ministry do the teaching, do the preaching, do the evangelizing, do the outreach, do the... No, we are all called to go because we are called to something bigger. 
And sometimes that's hard as we learn to trust. If you want to talk about a turning point, if we would all look at that and say, God's called me something bigger. Um, those relationships that are hard, those friendships, those re- working relationships, those people in my classroom that I'm not just here to get an education and make a few bucks and go on and do life. and do No, I'm called to be a minister to advance the kingdom of God to see something bigger. They saw it, which is why the last, their response was this. They were willing to leave it all. Look at verse 11. They pulled up the boats onto the shore, and they left what? Everything. Now, as we read the story, it sounds kind of kitschy. It sounds like, okay, they left it all, whatever. But what, what did they leave? Boats, equipment, and all the fish. Now, what's frustrating is I was reading even this week, a prosperity gospel preacher was literally taught this same message and was talking about how the whole purpose of this was Peter was blessed because he obeyed. Peter, because he obeyed, he had favor. And notice the favor didn't just stop with him. All those around him, his partners, everybody got to benefit from the fish, and they were connected, and they received the overflow of blessings. That's not the point of the story. But it's amazing how in this simple story, we can make it about us, and we can put ourselves in the center and make this whole lesson about them abandoning it all and leaving everything. To make it about us. The point is Peter left as did they. The point is not that people were closest to them, were, were, were blessed because of their faithfulness. Yes, there are lessons for that, I get it. But the point of this is that these guys were willing to risk and leave it all because they believed and they trusted in him. Put yourself in the story. If you were to leave everything behind and follow this man named Jesus, who just told you, now you're going to go catch people, we're going to do all of these things. They've seen this miraculous, mind-blowing thing that's going to happen, and they left it all. Picture if you're a farmer, your equipment, your job, whatever it is, they left it all behind, and they, they left. All of their livelihood, everything that mattered to them, everything that, was, that they prized and possessed and prioritized, all of that was left behind to follow this man, Jesus, because now they are a part of something bigger. Now, God might not be calling you physically to do all that, but he is, make no mistake about it, he is calling you to leave it all behind and follow him. But that's where the conviction happens, because you know what happens when we don't trust? When I don't trust, we don't do that. I don't do that. Can I look at you this morning? Because my life is filled with a lot of yeah buts. Oh, wait a second, God. Just like Moses, well, what if? You want me to follow you, but what if it doesn't happen? You want me to do this, but what what if nobody comes? What if nobody listens? What if? They don't respond the way that I hope they're going to do. Because the opposite is true as I close is this. I, I gave you these, these six things, but hear this. If we struggle and fail to truly trust in who he is, the complete opposite is true at every point. We will no longer want and long to hear the word of God. Now hear my heart on this. I've seen it. It happens. I don't care if you're a teenager or a, a grown-up. You will disappear and no longer want to hear the word of God because you don't trust it, you don't trust him. You will not obey. I will not obey when it doesn't make sense. When God calls us to do something, you think, that's crazy. God cannot be in that. God's in a lot of crazy things. Now, if that's sound bad, that's going to sound weird for a sermon, but God's in a, he calls us to do those things. Number three, if we don't trust him, we won't see our sin. We will justify, condone our life but we will not be broken and see our sin. We will not be constantly amazed. We'll get bored, we'll get apathetic, we'll get distant, we'll push away anything that would draw us closer to him. I've done that. 
we will fail to see the bigger picture. We will not be about the kingdom. We will be about ourselves. And last but not least, we will no doubt, we will be unwilling to leave it all behind. Maybe God's calling you or I, I know he is for me, just calls to, to think differently, to trust him and to follow. I said earlier that this, and I close with this, and I'm going to read two psalms over you, and we're going to sing and be done. I said earlier that to truly trust is a firm belief in the reliability, the truth, the ability, or the strength of someone or something. My question to you is this, and I'm going to read, read some psalms over you, is do you truly believe in the reliability, the strength, and that he is able? I'm going to ask you to bow where you're at just for a second. With nobody looking around, I'm going to read these two psalms to you, and then we're going to sing. The praise team is going to come up, we're going to sing, and then you can respond as you need to. But maybe there's somebody here that hears my voice that you're, you're having a hard time and you're struggling with trusting him. Maybe you're on the, uh, uh, maybe God's teaching you moment by moment and there's something, maybe one little thing today that, that God's just kind of working on you. David in the book of Psalms has two verses that God gave me just kind of jumped out this week. In Psalms 20 verse 7, he writes this, Some will trust in chariots and some will trust in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Replace chariots and horses with life, material possessions, things, wealth, health, all these things that we could put our trust in that when those things are good, we and God are good. But David's saying, I'm going to put my trust in the name of the Lord our God. In Psalm 62, David writes this, and then we're done. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is the rock of my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, and he is my refuge. Trust him at all times. Pour your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. With every head bowed, every eye closed, that's what I want to ask you to do. The praise team is going to sing our final song. This is your time. You can pray. You can stand. You can sit. You can do whatever you want to do, but just pour out your hearts to him. I'll be here if I can pray with you.